David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast today. One of the most fascinating subjects in all of human history. What do we do for a living? What do we do during the day? How do we get... Why is the idea of having a job so transcendent and monumentally important? And I have my friend Ramona Schindelheim, who's the senior business correspondent at a nonprofit called Working Nation. Working Nation is an organization we've written about in the Jewish Journal, and it's a nonprofit whose mission is to spread the word, create awareness and education around solutions through storytelling, to connect the dots for companies, workers, and communities looking for solutions to their workforce issues. And I'll just lead with one fact. 10 to 15 years from now, an estimated 65% of current primary school-age children will end up working in jobs that don't even exist today. Ramona Schindelheim, welcome to my podcast. Thank you very much. It's Glad so to be here. It's so great to have you because this is truly one of those fields that's so misunderstood. And right now, the we're going through this in, in incredible transition in the world. Uh, with robots, artificial intelligence, globalism, the digital world, and it's changing in front of us, and you're right in, in the middle of it. It's, so, it's changing so quickly that our, worker, our workforce can't really keep up with it. So jobs are changing faster. I would say jobs are changing as fast as technology, sometimes faster. <laughs> it's, it's just an amazing thing. So jobs that exist today... Another little fact to give you, 60% of all the jobs today, at least a third of what is done in those jobs, the tasks in those jobs, could be automated. Give me an example of a, a classic job that we would think would never be automated, and yet it still threatens to be. Well, I would, I would say here's a job that has already been automated. Maybe a better way to explain it is manufacturing. We've gone through a couple of different... Uh, permutations of manufacturing in our lives when they first put in the assembly line and that made it easier for workers to do their jobs for a while that meant fewer workers um, and then because it was cheaper for businesses to make the products they started getting more business and started hiring more workers we had a real big boom in manufacturing as you know through World War II um, and that kept going until, you know, like in the 1990s, and it started slowly trickling, uh, going away. In the middle of um, 2000, after 9-11, we lost almost 4 million manufacturing jobs. And part of that was automation. People didn't keep up with the skills they were needed, so some of the jobs were shipped overseas. Um, and also we had an economic downturn. We had the recession. But so now, currently, a lot of, of the tasks that are being done in a factory are automated, but these are skilled jobs, and people need to be trained for those to do those jobs. Right, we but, don't have enough workers. it's certainly not enough jobs to replace the ones no, that have lost. No, not at all. Not you at know, all. I, I, I often wonder, because we hear the cliche mm -hmm. that everything's cyclical, so like, sure. well, you know, uh, 150 years ago, they had this thing happen, and then 100 years ago, they had this thing happen, and then every we always adjust, we always adjust. But I wonder if we've hit a moment 
when it's just not going to be that easy to adjust. Like the, the digital revolution is not the same thing as when electricity showed up or the steam engine or the assembly line. This seems to be one that's inherently destructive to the job. I think you've hit picture. on it. I think you've hit on that this time is different. I think technology, if you think about it in your lifetime, you know, you've you radio, black and white TV, <laughs> color TV, you know, iPods, and now everything's done on our phone, right? Um, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I got my first personal computer. Uh, but what made up that personal computer now can be in a small little disc that I can carry around on a, a thumb drive. It's like when I talk yeah. to my kids yeah. about, you know, the new generation, right? Yeah. So you also hear that for generation after generation, you hear the same cliche from parents. Yes. <laughs> oh, when I was young too, I had those kind of things. Oh yeah, and it, you hear the same thing from generation right. after generation, almost as if it repeats itself. But then I tell my kids, I just don't think this is the same thing. I, I don't think when it is I, either. I did yeah. not grow up with something in my hand. We didn't go out to restaurants with everybody of us had something in our hands that we would look yeah. at. This is truly a fundamental shift in a generational uh, life. I, I, I agree with you. And I think what's happening is it's, it is happening really quickly. Uh, you know, I, I, would, uh, I would say, again, the phone that I had five years ago is not the same phone I have now. The tech, go to a hospital, and now, I don't know if you've seen this, but now all the stuff that the nurse takes in or the uh, physician's assistant takes in about you is computerized. So everybody in that job needs to know how to Right, but that's that one job. place, right, that's yeah. one place where God knows they can use a lot <laughs> better upgrade, right, but in the healthcare world, but they're doing it, you're saying? They are doing it. There are right. uh, people being trained. That's one of the biggest growing areas in uh, technical training mm -hmm. is these assistants because they all need to know how to use that computer. But there are other diagnostic tools that can, you know, tell, tell your, you know, like if you've had a heart attack, obviously we've all had, you know, maybe we've all had EKGs, but now those are even more technically savvy. So you have to have people who, who know not, how to operate those. Correct. Correct. So when we hear all over the news in the past few months, how the economy is doing incredible and the unemployment among the African-American, among the Hispanic, among women, among just throughout America, is at its lowest in years, and the employment figure has gone way up. So it seems to be good news. How do you respond to that? Well, you have to. You can't just look at the headline numbers. Is how I respond to it. I've covered uh, economics and business for twenty plus years now, and I learned early on you can't just look at that headline number. Uh, Three point eight percent unemployment was the last national number that we have. But that doesn't count the number of people who are underemployed, who are working two or three jobs to make ends meet. Uh, it doesn't count the people who uh, would, are only working part-time and don't want to work full-time. And it doesn't count the people who have dropped out of the workforce because they can't find yeah, the work. But wouldn't that factor in, though, because if you compare it to the previous number, uh, that also would not count those? So uh, is there an improvement uh, do these numbers suggest an improvement despite those caveats? Um, I think we are pretty much where we were four years ago, five mm -hmm. years ago. I don't think we're improving. I see the numbers have gone down, but we've been out of a recession 
for a while now. Um, but what they, if you look at the unemployment number, what it compares is the number, what it looks at is the number of people looking for work, actively looking for work. Mm -hmm. So if fewer people are participating in the workforce, mm -hmm. if six million people say, I can't find a job, three million people say, I can't find a job, I'm not gonna look, mm -hmm. your unemployment rate is gonna go down. I don't think we're, we're not in a recession by any means. Mm -hmm. I think we have a, a, an economy that's chugging along, but the quality of those jobs are not what we really want. And that's what we're about at Working Nation is we're trying to tell people that there are quality jobs out there. There are 6.6 .6 million jobs that are open right now that uh, businesses say they cannot fill. What kind of jobs? They, they're everything from healthcare to uh, data science, mm -hmm. cybersecurity, mm -hmm. uh, manufacturing. And again, when I talk about manufacturing, we're, they now call it like advanced manufacturing because they may be robots putting pieces together. Right, in a, but you need somebody to work the to robots. To program it. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to be savvy enough, technically savvy enough to do that. So that six million open jobs that employers say they cannot fill because they can't find the skilled workers, it's across a wide swath of industries. And and what are we doing about this? I mean, uh, where do you get the training? If somebody wanted, you know, are, are the schools right now? I mean, we know that the universities are not really training students for these kind of jobs. Do you ever, wh what do you make of that? I mean, yeah. you know, we I was raised in the generation where you go to college, get a degree, and you get a job. Yeah. And doesn't look like colleges are doing anything with these six million jobs, or most of them. I think the, they have not led the way. Higher education hasn't led the way, but I think they're starting to see the need for it. I can give a couple. I can give you an example of uh, Rutgers University in New Jersey. They started a program. I think it was last year for freshmen, and it's a class where. It started with one class, and they showed slope of a cur the curve, which is our right. video about the problem. And I highly recommend yeah. all you listeners <laughs> just just type in YouTube <laughs> slope of the curve. It's one of the best little films you'll see. Thanks for the plug. Oh yes, yeah, yes. no, it's it's that we're very, good. We're very proud of it's it. It's that good. Yeah. They, it's when they launched the organization yeah. a couple of years ago. It's terrific, and it yeah. got played by millions. Well, Rutgers saw it and thought it was a good video to use, and so they use it in this freshman class, which tells freshmen, you may want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or maybe you want to be a computer scientist, maybe you want to poet, be a poet or a writer. But what you have to understand is that our society has changed, that you need to be a lifelong learner. The days of going to college for four years and getting a degree and then going off and being whatever you study to be really has changed. You need to keep up with the times. So the good thing about this um, class is it started as one. It was so popular with the freshmen, they now offer it 10 times a semester because everybody is taking it and they're looking at you need to be a lifelong learner. You need to be a strategic thinker. You need to be a problem solver. You need to keep up with technology uh, so they get it. You know, I got to tell you, uh, Ramon, I got if you don't mind, let me yeah. just vent for a minute here because uh, we hear so much about all these new departments and the colleges throughout the country and it's gender studies and transgender studies and it's all cultural based and white privilege and, 
and so much of this learning, it may people may see it as valuable, but it's completely disconnected right. to the issue of finding work. I, I, I will say that their ultimate goal at that Rutgers class is to help people understand career pathways, but you're right. And the people who are doing the best on the career pathways are the community colleges. And that's because, think about it, in, in, in the country, a lot of people can't afford a four-year school, very mm -hmm. expensive. Maybe they don't even want to go to it. And maybe they want to stay in their community. So the community colleges and local businesses are are getting together with sometimes with the help of civic leaders in the community and creating specific programs that will help the people in that community learn the skills they need to mm -hmm. work at that company. Right, uh, right. But still, it would still be great to see universities step up. And because the, the way you really empower somebody mm -hmm. is to make them feel valuable, like they have something to contribute to society. I'm adding value to my world. Mm -hmm. And so much of this emotional stuff you hear, it just really does not really empower somebody. It just reinforces maybe your sense of identity, your sense of, of victimhood perhaps, but it doesn't really empower you to contribute to society. And when I keep thinking, keep going back to these six million open jobs in America right now that can't find people to fill them, it would be amazing if universities would sort of step up and, and sort of become more you know, participants in their society, in addition to all the great liberal studies and, and the major degrees in architecture and, 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 and science and law and medicine. These are, this is a big issue, isn't it? I think it is. I think it's probably the broken piece of the, the broken mm -hmm. piece of the system. Uh, we talk about it at Working Nation, we talk about it as eco, an eco ecosystem that consists of education, business, uh, civic leaders, uh, nonprofits, and the workforce themselves. It's funny. I heard that the most popular class at Harvard was on happiness. You know, so <laughs> we just want to feel good. I'd say yeah. we want to feel good. But how about picking up skills so we can work good? And then you would feel good, too. Yeah, yeah you would yeah. really feel yeah. good. Yeah, we, yeah. I, I, think, I think work is probably the ultimate quality of life issue because – you want to feel proud of the job that you do. You want to be happy in your home. You want to be. You want to live in. You want to be able to live in a home. You want to be able to afford a home. But you need to do. You need to have a quality job to go with it because it does help people. Well, the crisis we've been hearing about the opioid crisis yeah. and the, the depression that we all those horrible stories. Yeah, that actually has an impact on the workforce. The opioid crisis. Uh, there are so many. Older, this is interesting, is that the workforce participation, um, I don't have the exact number, but more men are dropping out, older men, like in 40s, 50s, from the workforce. And it's attributed, a Goldman Sachs study attributed it to the opioid crisis. So or it's also the chicken and the egg, mm -hmm. because if you're out right. of work and you're depressed, you're more likely to turn to more the vulnerable drugs, right. to addictions. Yeah, right, absolutely. Right. So, you're, so it's a real... Uh, complicated picture yeah. with sort of uh, a lot of tentacles. And what do we, what can we do as a community? I mean, you know, we often like to sort of expect so much from the government, but what can we do? I noticed in, in your article this week in the Jewish Journal, you spoke about the responsibility of employers themselves 
in terms of training, right? Because somebody can have a skill set that's outdated, and they're currently having a job, and they're making $80,000 a year, and they wake up one day, and, like, they're out of work. Right. So talk to me about that, this new model that you referred to. Yeah, it, this was uh, based on a study from a, a Massachusetts uh, quasi-government agency. that, And they their goal, their first goal is really to help people find entry-level jobs to start with. Some people don't have the skills. Some people don't are not lucky enough to have a mentor or a family member or a teacher who could say to them, you could get a job if you went down this career path mm. or if you uh, learned how to be a team player or if you, you know, some people just don't have that in them and they have to fend for themselves. So they help these people get the jobs. So they thought the next step is you get the entry-level job. What do you do next? Whose responsibility is it to help that person up the career ladder? And it's not something we would think of as leaders of companies. It, as your we always assume, right, 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 right. We always assume it's up to them, right. and then they come to us and they say, you know, can you pick up my night courses on on this thing? And we said, sure, why not? Right. But you're taking you you're talking about leaders of companies, right? Taking Turning, leadership, right? Looking in role. their business and say that person is a very good worker. Maybe I can help them. Maybe I can mentor them. And this could be a big company or a small company. There are the bigger companies are much more likely to have some career pathway programs in place, promotion programs. But what my article is about, excuse me, about is even if you're a small business, you should think about that. You should think of how can I help my good employees become a manager? How can I help them get the skills they need to help my business grow? Because it's not just and it, you're also gaining loyalty. You are gaining loyalty. You're gaining good workers who are going to stick with you and who are going to say, look what I learned. This could help you. So that's what that's about. It's, it goes back to the ecosystem. It's everybody working together to create training and creating a workforce that can shift and uh, be adap adaptable to changing technology. Let me ask you a personal question, sure. Ramona. Have you ever been out of work? Do you recall a time when a close member of your family was out of work and the repercussions that he had? I've I've been a journalist for most of my career, so yes, I've been out of work. Of course, that, <laughs> out of work. Yes. That goes with the territory. Yeah, and you know, we, we were having this conversation at work yesterday. Actually, I, I work with a lot of really good journalists that I've known for a long time um, at Working Nation because we approach everything from editorial and content, and we were talking about. The times that we, we have had a lot of successes, but the time personally, but the times that we have lost a job or our contracts haven't been renewed, those are some of the most devastating times in your life. You don't recover emotionally from that quickly mm -hmm. because it cuts to the core of who you are. Mm -hmm. You know that you're good at what you do. You've got a trophy full of, I mean, a case full of trophies to say that, but somebody doesn't want you. So it, it's devastating. Right, it yeah. uh, goes to your self-worth. It does uh, go to your self-worth. Uh, That's why good jobs are very important to the fabric of a community. And a close member of my family, and I remember when you know they lost a job and for a whole year, it was it was sort of devastating because mm -hmm. I was young, and I I recall, um, I don't know how else to say it. It was uh, it was truly like a sad moment mm -hmm. and then when the job was retrieved, it was a big party, and that I remember very well. 
And it was like the joy of the party was equal to the depression of, of the loss of a job. And this is happening all over the country. Yeah, I, I come from um, the Midwest, and my father worked in factories all his life. They, he made gears for uh, the Apollo rockets. You know, they, it was a small company in uh, Illinois. He, they decided to move that plant to Tennessee, and he was out of work. And I remember I was, you know, 20, I was not even 20 years old yet, and I still remember just him seeming so sad and how his self-worth was surrounded. Your father. My father, yeah, yeah surrounded by the whole thing. He ended up mm. taking, like, a part-time job mm. at another factory nearby. Um, but how old were you? Oh, I, I think I was not even 20 yet because I was still yeah. at home, so I was probably a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How old was he? You know, he w- at at his age, he was actually in his fifties. Right. Yeah. Right, so right. he still had. And he know, probably didn't want to show his shame in front of his kids. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very right. proud man. He worked really hard for what he did, and mm-hmm. and then you you wake yeah. up in the morning and what do I do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's part of why a lot of times this really affects me because I look at. I think people need to learn to be adaptable. You know, mm-hmm. you know the, um, oh, two years ago when the carrier factory uh, in Indiana right. was right. shutting right. down, we sent a camera crew there to sit and talk with these people that were losing their job. And they had, you know, people were in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Some of them had been working there for a long time. We did see a reluctance among those people to try the training that was being offered by Carrier. Mm -hmm. But we saw it it wasn't an arrogance. It wasn't anything other than fear, I think. Uh, People know one thing in jobs. It may be in a job like my father. So I look at my father in this example. Or the coal miners, you know, people who know one thing. Right. Well, it's a mindset. And that Mm -hmm. one thing has been established for centuries, Mm -hmm. right? Generation after generation, you work at the plant for 40 years, and then you have your pension and so forth, right? And that's so all of a sudden, yeah, it's gone. a whole new habit, it's yeah. a whole new mindset that's your required. Your safety net is gone, and you have to think, of, or your, not even safety net, your consistency in your life is gone. And you probably didn't think about, what am I going to do if this job ends? Right, right. And the whole idea of training is almost like perceived perhaps, as going back to school, which yes. is a step back. Right. You know, I already graduated from exactly. high school. I graduated from my trade school. Now I'm in the work time of my life, and there's so many complications in anybody's life. So it's not seen in that positive right. mindset of a leading a life of continual growth. Right. Where my, whole, I'm, where my whole life I go to school, and I'm constantly learning new skills. This is a whole new way of looking at life. Absolutely. And maybe our children are more adaptable to it um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, maybe they see it happening. But for those of us who have, you know, been doing this for a while. I have an employee. I mean, I hired him in 1986. Yeah. He was uh, consumer research, but he really wanted to go into creative. So uh, he put together a great book. I hired him in 86 and became a copywriter and did consumer research. And over the years, anything I ever needed, he would figure out how to do it. So if it was whether it was book publishing, design, mm-hmm. website, anything. His name's Johnny. Strategic theater. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it's like unbelievable. Yeah. There's like, you know, uh, home decor. He just kept picking up one skill after another. Yeah. And it just, I keep, you know, I tell my children that all the time. Just keep building up your skill set. And right. you just add value 
to society, add value to yourself, your brand. Yeah, I. The last time I uh, my contract wasn't picked up, or two times ago, <laughs> in New York. You were working for who? Oh, in New York, I was working. I worked for CNBC for six mm-hmm. years, um, mm-hmm. two contracts through them. Um, in in my line of business, and I was a senior manager. It's not uncommon that you know after when how long a, is the contract? Uh, three years at a time, I generally. See. And so at, at the end of six years, they had a new manager, a new boss, and so you know they just said, "I have a different way I want to go," mm. and so you know we parted ways. Very friendly, great, right. but, but then you got to find something. You got to find something. So I decided I'm going to take the skills that I knew I had, and I started doing some media training. I started doing some consulting. When you say media training, you were training others. I was training people to speak on camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, also working with them on their brands. I was. Uh, I had like a psychiatrist who I worked with, and I did some videos for her. And what I taught myself was how to edit on um, Premiere Pro. Mm. Again, I'm not a child. I'm not a kid. I just said I'm going to learn how to do that because I can use that skill in my business. Well, that's huge because a lot of times, you know, we'll have somebody who wants to do a little video. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you need a lighting guy and a camera guy and a sound guy and I have to pay four or five people. But now today the people who are really valuable are the ones who can sort of, you know, one person. Right. One. Mm -hmm. It's one man band. But that's so. There's oh, it's one person. One person. One, yes, yeah, one yeah. person. This band. show is very yes. politically correct. Okay, <laughs> most of the time, right, Jenny? Yeah, she agrees. My daughter. Yes, agrees. and I am the, that one person. I could do the editing. I could do the writing. Uh, you know, and producing. So, I, I kind of. You know of, what? I should interview you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Art Bilger would like that. <laughs> Art is the founder of Working no. Nation and also a good no, friend. No, I'm not so walking away Art, from him. Art, do not worry. <laughs> uh, Ramona is safe. He's a good man to work for. Oh, no, he is. Oh, Absolutely. Oh. This was his vision years ago. And oh, yeah. He would bring it up to me at lunch. And, you know, he's like, he's like struggling for, for, the, for his nation, for the country. You and know, he would say, this is really bothering me. Like, we're not teaching our kids the jobs of the future. Such a simple thought. And next thing you know, he's got this really major organization. He, I give him a lot of credit, credit because, as you said, he did find found our organization. He puts a lot of time into it. He puts a lot of money into it. He puts a lot of fundraising into it. It's we're a nonprofit, so we're always fundraising, but we're creating content that highlights the solutions, and that what that's what we're really, really proud of. And that was his vision from the beginning. It's not just to talk about the problem, but talk about the solutions because other people can learn from them. I've, you know, I've been very lucky that I've interviewed, you know, a dozen Fortune 500 CEOs for our, um, for looking at solutions. So I've talked to people at, I've talked to the CEO of Humana about, you know, their healthcare, what they're doing to train their healthcare workers and their employees. I've talked to, uh, Oh, that uh, Dow Chemical, you know, how they're changing and training workers. I've talked to people at AT AT&T about how they're doing it. But I've also talked to governors who are now looking at education, which is very important. Governor Snyder in Michigan has this Marshall Plan for education, and it's all about bringing in STEM education for K through 12 students. So starting it early. So these are solutions. And and what's good about it, and we do videos too, which I, I'm, we're very proud of, but these are solutions that other people can look at and say, 
that's interesting how they worked with either the government or the companies or the community colleges or the work or the unions. I, I did one in Las Vegas where a union, construction union, works with uh, the state to tr- apprentice construction workers, and they're doing. These are heavy equipment, and you, you know it's not just driving a tractor. Everything's operated now with GPS in it, and you could, you have to learn how to program it so you can, you know, do the correct dimensions on the field that you're trying to. So plow. it's a partnership. It's a partnership. That, right. So people can look at our website. So there's hope. There is hope. There's hope. There, there are hope. people doing good things. Yeah. One of the things we have not talked about. Yeah. Something that's a little more emotional. Yep. You know, what do I love to do in my life, right? And I was reading this piece recently on how the new generation has been raised to follow their heart, to do meaningful things, right? And next thing you know, you get, you know, 20 million young people who all want to be documentary filmmakers, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, because this is not the reality of life, right? So I wonder if that ever comes into your radar this idea of you know what those, those new jobs that are coming up may not fulfill the the, the heart the 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 goals well of meaningful work I would say generation. we live in Los Angeles I've lived in New York uh, those two places you may find more people who want to be oh here they definitely all want to be documentary they, filmmakers yes. I've not met or one. actresses yeah actress for sure yeah uh-huh. yeah there's something to yeah. do with the creative arts You're right. But in the, the rest of the country, I think people, because we've traveled a lot. We've gone to Indiana. We've gone to Well, Kentucky. that's for sure. The flyover states. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, but that's this is probably the number one market for what you're talking about. Yeah. But the, in those other places, people want to make a good living. They may want to stay mm-hmm. in their community. Right. Because they grew up there. That's where their family is. And that will make them happy. So you're talking right. about going They don't want to create a new reality TV show. They, exactly. Right. So for them, happiness is to being able to buy, you know, a yeah. boat so they can go fishing with their kids, you right. know. So it's a different – there's different levels, different um, goals in people's lives. So I, I see, I, I'm very optimistic that these will uh, – what we're talking about, this technology changing creates really good jobs that allows people to do that. And, and one of the realities is that we've sort of stopped making things, you mm. know, because the economy has changed to so much into a service economy. We're more knowledge-based, yeah, absolutely. Correct. And I wonder if, I mean, where do you see that going? Is it going to get more of the same? We're all going to, we're always going to ha- have things, I think, <laughs> if, you, so. if you think about it. You know, we all, we always have to have our new phone. Some of them are made here. Some are made overseas. I just want to know if yeah. there's ever going to be a phone where they make an announcement and say, we're done. Right? <laughs> I'm just waiting. No, never. To, I'm done. I like my iPhone. Right? Never. I think mine is and, ready for an upgrade, but I'm not upgrading yeah, it because I, I like I just want a list of products yeah. that are like, we're done. We're I done got, with the I got scissor. mine too. I got all the apps on it I need now. Everything's good. Yeah, yeah. and we're never done. It's oh. such a source of anxiety for me. <laughs> Every product I have, I'm just nervous that it's not updated. Yeah. Right? Uh, everything's going to be obsolete. Yes. My I have a lot of old uh, computer equipment in my apartment if anybody needs it. But I guess look, that's what the economy runs on. Yeah. You Making know? things always. Yeah, yeah, I remember when there was a big economic crisis, I don't know, 7 8 years ago and I realized that the economy of America is really lives or dies on consumption. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, I think I that wrote a piece. That goes back to jobs. Right, it goes back to <laughs> yeah. jobs. And, and quality then, of life. 
I wrote a I wrote a, a, a piece. I wasn't sure whether I should publish it because you know people had less money. So I started comparing the satisfaction of spending five dollars and going hiking with your kids for you know a beautiful afternoon versus spending $1,000 to go to Disneyland. And I'm saying, oh my God, <laughs> I got more happiness from this $5 and hiking with my kids in beautiful nature. And it cost me a little bit of gas and a couple of coffees at Coffee Bean and versus you know what the economy needs from me. Right. The economy would much rather I go to Toys R Us and spend consume. a few hundred bucks consume, and consume. consume. Yeah. So that's always sort of one of the dilemmas, one of the inherent conflicts. But if we all get trained to make things or know things that we need, we'll make and know things that we need, and we'll do both. Right, right. We, we, exactly. We must, we must do both. Yeah. Uh, so I want to I wanna thank you so much for coming in, because this is a, a subject that's sort of essential to our society. I just want to finish by asking you what your big goal is for the next year or two at Working Nation. It's continue to, it is to continue putting, you know, spotlight on good solutions. Um, we have, in addition to what we do on our website, we've done town halls. We did one actually here in L.A. a few months ago. So about, it's workingnation.com, right? Yeah, workingnation.com is the website. Uh, we've also done town halls where we've talked about aviation here. We talked about cybersecurity um, opportunities in New York. We're doing in Boston uh, in October. We're doing one on apprenticeships and the importance of on-the-job learning at at different companies. Um, so it's open to the public. It is, yeah, okay. it's absolutely open to the public. Uh, we haven't published uh, the tickets yet online, okay. but we will on WorkingNation.com. I think it's going to be October 2nd. But the goal is, over the next year, is just to keep getting this message out there and raise it to a national conversation. We think all solutions are local, so your business has to work with your community college to create the jobs in your community and train people for them that you need in that community. And what you need in Denver is going to be different than what you need in New Orleans or Utah or Wyoming. Yeah. But I, I want to say we're doing something else that's really kind of remarkable that I think will help with that mission. Next month in Florida, we're doing a workshop for journalists. It's all booked up. Everybody, you know, we got double the number of people that we thought well, we were going to have you there. I'll send you a few. But what it is, it's training the journalists how to talk about it in their community. Ah. So that will help spread the word. You know, somebody was asking me, he said, Debbie, you know, why, why do you have somebody from Working Nation writing in the Jewish Journal? And I said, if there's one cliche about Jewish values that everybody knows, and that's so true, it's, it's so much better instead of giving someone a fish to teach them how to fish. And that's the heart and soul of your Perfect. organization. Absolutely. Okay, on that note, thank Great. you so much, Ramona. Thank you very much, David.